Can you hear that wind blowing? Everybody loves chalupas. Everybody wants some now. If you have a need for chalupas. This is Rish Outfield, and you're listening to the podcast that dares not speak its name. This is a little unusual. I'm sitting out on the back deck of the family cabin, and there's no one around. Uh, it's a Thursday morning, and, well, Thursday afternoon now. Uh, and usually there is a, I almost called her a witch. Usually there's an old lady sitting on her porch swing on the cabin directly behind ours. And sometimes I'll hear the squeak. Sometimes I'll actually see her there. I've not ever podcasted about her, uh, but I have written about her in my blog. Uh, It scared me. It was last summer I was sitting out here, probably talking to myself or reading aloud or something like that, and I looked over and there was an old woman sitting there watching me. And You know me, I'm just really afraid of old women. And the last, I'd say three times that I've been here, she's been here. And the last time her husband, I'm assuming it's her husband, maybe it was her victim, was there and he had this gross, like super phlegmy, thick, wet, hacking cough and I kept hearing it. (laughs) To the point where finally I had to close my book and go in to the cabin and just get away from it. It was disturbing. But today I'm absolutely alone, again, naturally. In a little while from now, if I'm not feeling any less sour. So I'm going to present to you a little story here today called Gatekeeper. And I'm doing it in this format because my schedule has gotten way, way off. I release my episodes of The Rich Outcast early to the Patreon supporters. And originally it was supposed to be like a week early or five days early or something like that. And I started getting behind more and more and more. And now they're five, six, seven weeks ahead of my regular episodes. And so I thought if I did one that didn't really fit in the numbering system, it would enable me to catch up a little bit. But I'll I'll tell you a bit about Gatekeeper and why I'm presenting it to you after the story. Right now, you don't need to know anything about it, uh, except for that it's a story that I completed last year, 2019. I'm doing this at the end of 2018. (laughs) Wouldn't that be interesting? I'm doing this at the end of 2020. Um, But it was one that I started years and years ago, 2010, maybe, nine, somewhere around then. And that's, uh, that's it. Uh, it's not long at all, except for that it's too long, and that's why I'm doing it now. Enjoy, if you can, my story. Gatekeeper. Written and narrated by Rish Outfield. Jason took a look at his hair in the mirror, then exited the car. He walked up the sidewalk to Anastasia's door. He rang the bell and waited. Just as he was about to ring it again, the door opened, and a kid's voice said, It's open. 
He turned the knob and stepped inside. And a little girl stared up at him. She was tiny, maybe five years old, with big blue eyes and reddish blonde hair. She was a miniature version of Anastasia. Hello, she said. He closed the door behind him. Hi. Nobody else greeted him in the foyer. There was a closed door to his right, and a staircase going up straight ahead, another closed door on the second floor. Is your... mommy home? Jason asked. He was a bit put off. Anna had never mentioned a daughter. He tried to remember what she had said about kids, something that led him to believe she had no children. The little girl looked at him with no expression. My mommy's dead, she said. Oh, uh, sorry. Was Anna her sister, then? Maybe her aunt? Why? asked the child. Just sorry, he said. Or are you asking why I'm here? She shook her head, slowly, pretty judgmentally for a kid. Jason had the craziest impulse to just turn and go back to his car. He didn't know where it came from, but there it was. Okay, how about Anastasia? Does she live here? Yes. Could you tell her Jason is here? Yes. She just stood there, watching him with a skeptical expression on her face. He wondered if she was just too young to be answering the door, but she sure didn't act like a little kid. She was so still. It was disconcerting. Is Anna your auntie? he asked. Anastasia, she corrected. Okay, Anastasia. What do you want her for? Jason sighed. He'd met Anna at the bank. The bank parking lot, actually. And though she was a real beauty, he didn't think he was up to this little preschool inquisition. I'm here to pick her up for a date, he over-enunciated, hoping she'd get the picture and tell him where to find her. You think she likes you? I think she... He began, and glanced at the closed door opposite him. It had an A on it. Presumably the one upstairs had a B. She said she'd go out with me. So? How many men came around that this kid would be so bold with a stranger? So maybe she'll like me when she gets to know me? No. Right. Which one's Anna's? he asked, gesturing toward the A door. He got no reply. Anastasia's, I mean. Still nothing. Jason frowned, looking past the kid. There was only a weak light bulb illuminating the foyer. There was a table in here, a cardboard box on top of it with stacked newspapers sticking out, a garbage can, a coat rack with an old umbrella on it, and a broom. Look, how old are you? How old are you? she asked back. Twenty-six. Sure you are. I am. And I asked you first. You seem awful young to be talking to me like this. 
He pointed to the door behind her. Is that her house? No. Well, can you send Anna to the door? Anastasia, she said again. Right, Anastasia, he said, nearly telling the girl that he was told she preferred to be called Anna. Yes. She still didn't move. Literally. It occurred to him that this might have been some kind of initiation or test Anna set up, to see if a first date was a good guy or not. Jason knew a bunch of dudes who would have spanked the brat by now, and one that would have punched out her lights completely. Hopefully, Anna could appreciate the difference. Please let her know I'm here? What's your name? Jason. Last name? I think she'll know who I am. You're not very memorable. Jason ignored the crack, which sounded too cynical to have not been fed to her by an adult. Or well, how many Jasons does she have dates with tonight? I don't know. I don't read her schedule. Can you even read? That's not a nice thing to say. He sighed. Kid, what's your name? Marnay. Marnay, it's been a long day. This was not true, but it was certainly starting to feel like it at this moment. Can you cut me a break? I don't know what that means. Finally. It means, can you please tell Anastasia that her date is here and would like to see her? Please. All right. The girl took a step back and then faced him again. Wait outside. He looked at the door to the street behind him. Outside. She waited, not moving, as still as a kid playing freeze tag. Fine, he said, and opened the door, stepping out onto the porch, like a traveling salesman about to lose a sale. The girl ran upstairs. Jason waited, as patiently as he was able. He had been getting upset, but hoped they could have a laugh about it later. Him and Anna, that was, not him and the brat. As if reading his mind, the child was coming down the stairs again, frowning. She opened the door halfway. She said you can't come in. She isn't feeling well. He chose his words carefully. I'm sorry to hear that. Can I talk to her for just a minute? No. I'd like to reschedule, if that's okay with her. It's not. At this point, Mother Teresa would have backhanded this child. Twice. Kid, this thing you're doing, it's not cute. I want to ask Anna if she's going to be all right. This is my house. Not yours. There was petulance and scorn and venom in her tone, something you'd hear in an old lady, not a prepubescent. Anna's house, he argued. No, mine. You can't come in. The door started to close. He began moving forward, intending to just push past her, but the door held fast. She closed the door so hard he had to back up quick or take it in the face. He backed up. This was bullshit. 
He considered pounding on the door, kicking it, but got a better idea. He stepped to the middle of the porch and pulled his cell phone from his pocket. He searched for Anna's number in the recent calls, and the number wasn't there. No, she'd given it to him, typed it in there herself. Then he remembered they'd only ever spoken in person. He checked the contacts list. There she was, right at the beginning of the alphabet. No last name. The door opened again. The child was back. Go away, she said, and there was so much menace in her words, he again considered retreating and making a run for it. But he didn't want to turn his back on the kid. He forced eye contact with her, and the door swung shut, hard. He hit dial on the phone. It rang a couple of times, and he glanced back at the house. The child was glaring at him through the little window there, a cold, hateful look. And then Jason couldn't breathe, as though he was underwater. He tried to take a breath, but he could actually feel the water around him, hot and soapy, washing over his hair, in his eyes, up his nose, filling up his lungs. Hello? It was a voice on the phone. Anna's voice. Hello? He caught his breath again, took a big inhale of it. There was no water on him, nothing but his own imagination, or some kind of waking dream, a drug flashback, a mini-stroke. Hey, he said, and had to clear his throat to get any sound out. It's me, uh, 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 Jason. I know who it is. He took another deep breath. The air tasted precious, wonderful. He did his best to ignore the episode. His little fit, whatever. Anna was saying his name. I'm here, he said. You, uh, not feeling well. Me? No, I'm great. Are you running late? No, I'm at your front porch. Oh. She sounded like she was going to say, So what's the problem, then? I, um, met your niece, is it? I don't have a niece. Well, the charming child that answered the door. Get this. She told me you were too sick to go out tonight. Jason, there's no children here. Since my roommate moved, I live alone. Well, she's standing right... He looked toward the window. But there was no one there. He could see the table and coat rack. But nobody was in the foyer. Jason shook his head. No water droplets came off. She was, uh, pardon my French, a bit of a shit. Hold on. Anna said. A second later, the door opened, and Jason found himself holding his breath in case the child yelled at him again. But it was Anastasia, coming out on the porch to meet him. She was dressed for their date, and looked even lovelier than the other times he'd seen her. She still held the phone in her hand. Are you being serious? she asked. About? About a little girl. Little... Blonde girl. Big eyes. Yeah. Said her name was Marnay, 
Is she, what, a neighbor of yours? No, she... Anna ran her hand through her hair. She seemed upset. She used to live here. Told me it was still her house. The owners before me had a little girl. She, um, she, she drowned in the tub. Stop it, Jason said. No, it's true. She was in there while her mom did the laundry. I met her. The girl. The mom. That's why they moved. They knew I was looking for a place, and they... He took a step toward Anna, but not in a romantic way. No. This girl talked to me. She wouldn't let me past. A small nod. My boyfriend moved out because he kept seeing her in the tub. Or in our room sometimes. She's... A ghost. Yes. She said it was her house. I guess she thinks it is. Jason wanted to believe this was all a cruel and elaborate prank, but remembered her strength when he tried to push open the door, and that sensation of water all around him. I talked to a ghost. Yeah. Are you all right about it? He backed off the porch two steps. I think I'm going to be sick. Okay. Come in, and I'll get you taken care of. No, he said. I can't go in. She won't come back. At least that's what Denny told me. You never saw her. She looked a lot like you. Never. Was she scary? Yeah. Too still. Too smart for her size. He felt something on his chest and discovered his own hand, clutching his heart like an old lady after a nightmare. I think she was only four. I, I can't remember the details. Marie or something. Marnay, she told me. Okay. There it is. Anna glanced back at the foyer and huffed. Hey... I'm sorry about this. I guess I should have expected it eventually. That seemed absurd to Jason's ears. But she'd been through this before, apparently. The young woman searched his eyes, concerned. You still want to go out? I... Uh, I don't think so. I mean, you're real pretty and everything, but I... He began backing away from her, as though Anna were haunted, too. Halfway down the sidewalk now. Jason, wait. She caught up with him. I need this. I need to go out, to be with a man right now. You know? Just have dinner with me. And afterward, I'll make it worth your while. He was certainly tempted. None of the women he'd gone out with before had said something like that on a first date. But he could still feel the memory of that burning in his lungs when he couldn't get any air in. The liquid in his mouth and down his throat. I can't. I, I don't think that I'd be able to... Yes, you would. She's gone, I promise. I'll do all the work. 
Jason pushed down all his fear and thought about bare skin and the smell of sweat. Maybe if we... he began. A light went on in the upstairs bedroom. A child's face looked out the window at him, bloated, swollen. Her eyes rolled up, very, very dead. Jason's balls withdrew, and his stomach clenched. Nope, he'd not be performing tonight. Maybe never again. What is it? Anna looked back at the house, trying to see what he saw, apparently seeing nothing. I gotta go, he said. Wait, she said. Look, I'll go with you. We'll go to your place. And let her know where I live, he thought. To hell with that. The idea of ever waking up to see that... that thing standing in his room. Well, that was more horror than he could handle, and he'd had his fill tonight. I'm sorry, he said, and went as fast as he could go toward his car. Anastasia trudged back to the house. She went through the door and entered the lobby, slowly closing it behind her. Thanks a lot, kid, she said. And I worried what guys would think of my appendix scar. The end. So, that story was 18 minutes long in the version that you just heard. The reason I'm doing this episode uh, right now is because now, once I'm done recording this, I have to go back in the house and edit that sucker down to 10 minutes. And I don't want to do it. That's going to take almost as long as editing the story the first time did. But it is a little bit plump for how, how short of an idea that it is. I can get it down to 15 minutes easily. The last five is going to be what's hard. Uh, and, you know, I'll just cut out some of the... Uh, I want to talk to Anna, Anastasia's part, you know, stuff like that. Basically, okay, so here, here's the deal. I used to keep a little tiny pocket notebook in my winter coat. I'd take the winter coat wherever I went, outdoors, you know, and I thought it was nice to have a notebook and a pen in there so that I could write. And over the years, I did write a couple of stories in it. But for the most part, I had a regular size notebook in my backpack. And if I went somewhere, usually I'd have my backpack. So there was no need for this backup notebook. Uh, but last year I went to a concert and traffic was really, 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 really bad. So bad that the concert didn't end up starting until like an hour and a half after it was supposed to start. And so I was just sitting there with nothing to do, but I had had the forethought to bring this little notebook with me. And the first thing that I did was I looked through it and read through the stories and story fragments that were in there. And I stumbled up upon this and I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's interesting. Oh my gosh. And I had gotten almost all the way up to the end of the story, but I didn't know how I could end it. I, I, I knew that I wanted Get this guy to be intimidated, and then, you know, what happens kind of thing. 
I was reminded of a scene back in in Hellraiser. I only ever saw the first Hellraiser, but there was this scene that I I, I kind of wanted to parallel with the ghost popping up while this guy, while Jason and Anna were intimate on the couch, like the little girl would pop up from behind the couch, kind of thing. But I I didn't end up going that way. I just had him run away, and then I wanted Anna to say something to the empty apartment or condo or whatever she lives in to the ghost, you know, like, thanks a lot, blank. And I had written like five different versions. I've got the notebook with me. I should just go grab it and read you what the different punchlines were. But I found that that interesting. And I had plenty of time waiting for the concert to begin. And so I, I ended up writing Touching the Other Side, all of the hotel scenes in Touching the Other Side through to the end, then I was super happy about that. And the concert still hadn't begun. It was a summer concert, and so it was still light out. And so I grabbed that story and decided just to write the scene. I wrote the scene on the porch, you know, after Anna has come down and just ended the story there. But... I, I never published it. I never released it. I never shared it with anybody. I, I, you know, I didn't think that it was particularly strong. One day, maybe I would sit down and record it and do it as, a, you know, one of the stories in one of my audio anthologies. Uh, you've heard me do that a couple of times. These are things that I wish I released more often. They're collections of stories that I have done in audio, some for my show. So I've, naturally, I already have them. And then some that I just record for the, uh, the collection. And I should be on my like sixth or seventh one by now. And I'm, I've only released three. But I think one of my goals for this year was to release another one. Maybe I could get off my butt and do that. Anyhow, out of sight, out of mind. But I got an email. I think it was in September of 2020. And... The, the Horror Addicts podcast was doing a, they were going to do, not for Halloween, but for Christmas, uh, they were going to do a big ghost story episode where various people who had submitted to them before or were friends of the podcast would share short ghost stories, but not for Halloween, but for Christmas, because that's how that, 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 that used to be part of the tradition, uh, is that you would gather around the fire and tell a scary ghost story. I, I believe that's where the Christmas carol came from, was just part of that tradition. I thought about it, and I thought, well, I don't think I'll be writing them one. But our options were you could present a story of your own, or you could just relate like a public domain scary story. Or you could just tell of something scary that had happened to you. And maybe that would have been the way to go. Although, you know, I don't have all that many brushes with the supernatural. My Uncle Len sure does. And certainly I could sit down with him and have him tell me a story in detail. And then I could present it as, you know, though it happened to me. But I decided not to. I thought of Gatekeeper and I thought, oh, I'll bet that was super short. I bet I could run that on their podcast in 10 minutes. And so I grabbed the story and I looked 
it, it looked like it was a little bit too long, but uh, I sat down just last week and I, I recorded it. It took 45 minutes to record from beginning to end. And part of that is just me, the way that I record. Every line has to... I just, I, I come from filmmaking or wanted to be a filmmaker and I just, you know, I like alternate takes and I like, oh, that's not quite right. Try it again like this. And, and the rhythm of language is interesting to me and of performance. And part of what I was cutting today, uh, just to get it down to the version that you heard, were lengthy pauses between sentences, be, between him saying something and the little girl responding. I, I like going slow and I like leaving silence after something that's supposed to be scary or supposed to be shocking. And so uh, this story probably could have been 20 minutes long instead of 18 minutes with all those pauses left in. But uh, we will see how difficult it is to get it down to the other, to the short version. And again, uh, why would I, do I, do I really want to cut Gatekeeper down? Uh, I don't know. Not really. But I can do it. And I've gone to all this effort, so why not just go to a little bit more and that way there is something of mine on that podcast for Christmas. And it's not, there's no paycheck attached to it or anything like that. But it's, it is something that I enjoy doing a lot. The recording, performing of the stories is just one of my favorite things. And the editing is, I'm not gonna say one of my least favorite things, but there are definitely times when it's, it's up there with my least favorite things. I uh, have always been afraid of child ghosts. I don't, I can't think of why. Um, malevolent children frighten me. And I did have a brush with malevolent children many years ago. And they acted like animals. They didn't act like children at all. Like regular children. And, and I've seen with my nephew, he's three, sometimes he will make monster sounds and sometimes he becomes really, really aggressive. I guess in his mind, he's pretending to be a monster and what do monsters do? They attack people. But this experience when I was, uh, I, I was young, when it happened, it was so surreal because it wasn't just one kid, it was several and they... They were savage children. They were feral children. And so that might have influenced me. In 1979, there was a miniseries adaptation of Stephen King's Salem's Lot that Tobey Hooper directed. And in it, there's a scene where the undead version of Danny Glick, a neighborhood boy, comes to the window of our, our child protagonist. And it's an excellent scene. I saw it again just last year as 
as a grown man, and it was still quite chilling, so masterfully done. They've got the, the child actor on wires, and then they've got a fog machine. And I don't know if they did it reversing the film or if they had maybe a vacuum that was sucking the fog, uh, but it just, everything looked so not right to the eyes and the makeup was so good on Danny Glick that it was terrifying to me as a child and is still really, really solid now. I recommend it. I, I, I don't like it when children are precocious, when children act wise beyond their years and you never, you, children always have a manic energy. And to me, the idea of a child that is still, that doesn't move, that just stares, that's really chilling to me uh, because it's, it's not natural. Ch children have a great difficulty staying still. And I've written about feral children or possessed children or ghost children or monster children or just bad children innumerable times, and I will continue to do so uh, as long as it is interesting to me, or fascinating to me, scary to me. The only other thing that I think is worth talking about here is, and this is something that I've talked about on the podcast before, so I feel like you're listening to a rerun portion, but another way of looking at it is to say greatest hits portion is I've, I always hated as a young man the gauntlet that you had to run when you were going to a girl's parents' house to pick her up for a date. It was something that parents, that, that fathers just delight in. They love putting the, the suitor, the prospective suitor, on the spot. And I was never good at asking girls out. I was never good at taking girls out. I, I've never been good at anything, really except for my Sean Connery impression, and I, I haven't used that in this episode. But I, I, I remember going to this girl's house, and I've told you this before, the dad had sent her little brother to answer the door and to deliver a message to me, which was, my daddy has a shotgun. Whenever I've told this story, people laugh. They think that that's charming and fuck them. Sorry to use language like that. It's not. It sucked. Because I was there with noble intentions. And it just, it really intimidated me and it made me feel unwelcome. And of course that was the intention. And if you think that that's cute, then you're the problem, not me. No, no, I, I, I understand that. I, I remember there being this line in Father the Bride where for years when your daughter starts dating, you're always afraid that she's going to go out with the wrong guy. It's just a universal understanding. And then Steve Martin goes on to say, but as she gets older, you start to f be afraid of her going out with the right guy. Uh, and then, you know, she's going to, get together with him and move out and you will lose your daughter. It, it was a sweet movie. It's been a long time since I saw it. Holy smoke, 25 years? I, I understand this, the dad thing, the, you know, the dad comes out and they want to take a look at the boy. 
it is a tradition it's probably something that dads look forward to i don't know i should ask my friend jeff because before he moved away to germany his daughter was 13 or 14 and she was you know in the awkward age and now i've seen pictures of her these years later and she's out of the awkward age and she's definitely dateable she's definitely somebody that boys would be interested in and would be coming over to you know to ask uh, if they could take her out i wonder what that's like being in a country in another in a foreign country uh, i'm sure her german is really good though so I don't know how that happens. I, I'll, I'll have to talk to him about that. But, but does he screen these, these potential boyfriends, these dates? And what is that like? I mean, maybe it is a pleasure that fathers have where they feel like they're doing their job, their due diligence as parents. It's not something that I've, I've ever experienced. I guess the closest I can say is that my niece got a boyfriend a couple of years ago and uh, suddenly he started coming around and you know I talked to him a couple of times but she's not my kid I have no authority over him uh, plus he had a really good head on his shoulders and a good job and he's still with her all these years later and so uh, there was never any temptation to sit her down and say, you know, somebody needs to give her the talk and explain to her, you know, what boys are all about, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I just, I, I've, I've always heard it from that side, you know, on the, on the other side, hearing about how bad boys are and boys will go as far as you will let them go. And it's up to you to say no and to let them know right from the beginning, you know, where you stand. And I just, I've heard that pretty much my whole life, but do you give your son a speech like that where you're like, OK, hey, listen, you know, girls are not aware of the power that they have over you. And so they can be rough. They can be cruel sometimes or even worse. Sometimes girls find out this power that they wield and they misuse it and they'll they'll see how far they can take it and. You just need to be prepared for that and, and, and try and keep your cards closer to your chest here and, 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 and try not to fall in love as fast as, you know, as your Uncle Rish does or stuff like that. So, so I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe I need to write a story like that. M most of the stories that I've been writing lately have female teen protagonists. I, I guess I've written a couple where it's a male teen protagonist who would need to have some kind of advice like that. I'm, I'll keep that in mind to see if I can write a scene like that and just see how it goes. I don't date much anymore, and that's sad. Uh, but in the times that I did, you know, it was always, uh, it has been adults that I'm dating. You know, the, the meeting of the parents is something that happens once you two are established, once you're in love or you're getting serious or whatever for adults you know what i mean it's the next step i'm going to take them to meet the folks and i guess i've written a couple of things about that too and that can be intimidating 
But I don't think it's nearly as bad because by that point, you and she are already together. You know, you've already got somebody who likes you a lot. And maybe trying to impress these parents is a big deal, but it's not as big a deal as when you're hoping to impress the girl and these two are the gatekeepers keeping you from trying to impress the girl. I feel like I've, t I've brought it all the way back by mentioning the title of my story. I don't know what to say on that, except for that, you know, there will be more stories and more exploration of those themes because those are things that are really interesting to me. I love just the idea of inexperienced teenagers taking their first steps onto the dance floor of, of romance. How does it go? How does it feel? What do you say? Where do you put your hands? All of that stuff is just, it's interesting to me. Uh, hopefully some of it is interesting to you. In the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode. You can always support me over on Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash Rish Outfield. Uh, it's really helpful to have people who care enough to encourage me to make more episodes, to release more stories. And... Um, I hope you liked this one, and I hope you like the next one down the road. And, uh, you know, the next time that you're picking somebody up, maybe just call ahead. Have them meet you uh, on the sidewalk. Good night. Wait, what about me? I thought you were going to involve me in some way. Oh, shoot. Sorry, man. You can read the Creative Commons. that. Special thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for the music so inexpertly used in this episode. The podcast that dares not speak its name is produced under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 3.0 license. I'm sorry, lad. It actually started raining on me a little bit while I was podcasting. I didn't acknowledge it, though. I am your pal also, Brielle Montrose. I am your pal also, Brielle Montrose. I am your pal also, Brielle Montrose. You need fear nothing from me. So I got the little notebook out. Uh, the shoveling match is in here. Ooh, there's a time travel story in here. Hilton helps the hopeless. 2010-11-2010. And I wonder what guys will think if they find out I used to shoot heroin. And I wonder what guys will think if they find out I used to be married. And I wonder what guys will think if they find out I'm not a natural redhead. I wonder what guys will think if they find out I used to have herpes. Used to have. I wonder what guys will think if they find out I used to have webbed fingers and toes. I wonder what guys will think if they find out I used to be a man. 
It's hard enough to keep a guy when they find out I have a criminal record. The dad had sent her little brother to answer the door uh, and to deliver a message to me, which was, My daddy has a rifle. My daddy told me to tell you that he has a pistol. My daddy has a big rifle. My daddy has a gun. My daddy has a big gun. My daddy's got these gross, hairy, floppy balls. <laughs>